Hi, this is Colin Shaw. Everyone at Beyond Philosophy are really proud that we've been recognised by the Financial Times as one of the best management consultancies in the UK. To celebrate, for a limited time, I'm offering to have a quick call with anybody who has any questions on how they can improve their customer experience. No obligation, just a genuine offer to try to help. Just wait till after the show and I'll give you the URL where you can book a quick call. Thanks very much. Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line by embracing behavioral economics. And now, here are your hosts, world-renowned thought leader on customer experience, Colin Shaw, and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. There's a difference between what people say they're going to do and what people actually do. The challenge is that businesses are run by older people who have got there by being good at what they do. And that typically has been around the more rational, logical ways of presenting things. You need to have a model of human behavior in your own head if you have any chance of predicting what your customers are going to experience. So Ryan, I, a number of years ago, used to work at British Telecom, BT, and I always remember sitting there and we were just about to buy this CRM system. And it was a big decision, a lot of money, and we had pre-meetings about which systems we were going to buy, how we were going to make decisions. We drew up this big, long decision matrix. We had people in to train them on how to make this decision you know, what to look out for. We had a team of 15 people sat around the table going to make this choice. First presenters come in, we fill out the scores after they've finished and did their pitch, second presenters, third presenters. And at the end of it, I looked at this matrix, and I'm leading this project, Mm -hmm. and I looked at this matrix and I thought, it's telling me that we need to recruit this company. But everything in my guts <laughs> tells me that's not the right decision. <laughs> yeah. So I then threw this hand grenade into the middle of the room by going, look, here's my scores and here's everybody else's scores. We did it all the logical way. And I just went, you know, I just don't feel that they're the right company. Part of some of that was because when they presented, they hadn't brought along their project team mm. because they were too busy on other clients. Right. And just little things like that that we hadn't included in the matrix that made me go, oh, I'm really not sure if it's a good idea to do this. Yep. Keyword, can we trust them? You know? Yeah. And so we ended up going with a company that was actually more expensive and not the ones that we produced the decision matrix for. Did it work out? Do you remember? It did. It worked out. It was interesting, actually, interesting dynamics, because we actually then had more of a vested interest to help them as well. Yeah, yeah. You can imagine that the finance side of the house were going, why are you paying 15% more for something that you, you know, actually this solution looks better for. But it did work out because, as I say, we had a more of a vested interest, but we just got on with them better. Mm-hmm. We trusted them more. And implementing systems is always a challenge, but it ended up being the right choice and the program was really successful. In fact, that was the backbone of me then leaving BT and starting up Beyond Philosophy, but that's another story. 
So we were going to today talk about irrationality. We talk a lot about the fact that people aren't irrational. And we've had some listeners drop us a line and say, you know, could we just go over again what that means? What does sort of irrational mean and how does that apply? So maybe you could give us your thoughts from your perspective on this. Yeah, so there are a couple of different ways of thinking about it. The most important starting point is to make sure that everybody is on the same page in terms of what irrational means. Yep. Because there's a surprising amount of variation in terms of how people think about irrationality. So there are some people on kind of one extreme that say that anything predictable is rational. So I've heard the argument made that people responding to incentives is rational behavior. So if you want to pay people more, right. then they'll work harder. And that's rational. That's evidence of rational behavior. And that, to me, is kind of an overly broad definition because slime mold, which is the lowest form of life that we can identify. We're not talking about cable companies again, are we? We're not not talking about cable companies. <laughs> but there's a separate... <laughs> Animal life form, animal or plant. I'm not even sure what slime mold is. But it's this mold and it responds to pain. So if you get this slime mold and then put it in an environment where there's, I don't know, too acidic or too hot or exposed to flame, yeah, it will grow away from that pain and grow towards food sources. Sure. That's slime mold responding to incentives. Sure. So is slime mold rational so i think we need a better definition sure let me just jump in here then please do because when i think about rational i also from a layman's perspective would use the word logical yeah so when i go back to my story about bt it was a logical decision you know what's the price how quickly can they deliver it does it have these features What's the timescales they would do it within? You know, all the things that you would think that you would make a decision on. And particularly in business, people think that they make logical decisions. Right. And they pride themselves on being, you know, we hear about it, you know, it's a left brain decision. That person is a left brain thinker. You know, it's all based upon numbers. Right. But what we know and our listeners know is it's not. There's a lot more happening in there than just those things. Yeah. I think that's a great lay definition, and I think that's a really useful one to consider. Not everyone who thinks about this or studies or argues it would agree that that's the definition. There are people who would say that rational decision-making is just consistent decision-making. Sure. If you're in the same situation, you should make the same decisions, should have the same consistent preferences. So there's the part of this that's just kind of pure philosophy, which I like. And we can talk about kind of the theory of different definitions of rationality and irrationality. From a practical perspective, though, too, the reason we care about this, the reason that you and I keep talking about it, the reason we wrote a, you know, a book about it, is because you need to have a model of human behavior in your own head if you have any chance of predicting what your customers are going to experience. And so it matters. What does that model look like? Is it a purely rational model? Is it a purely irrational model? Is it something kind of in between? So 
you know, even if you're not into philosophy, like I sometimes can get into in the weeds, you as a customer experience professional, you, whoever's listening to this podcast, you need to figure out in your own head, what do people look like in terms of making their decisions? Yeah, I think the issue for me is that the average company still thinks that customers make logical choices. Right. And let me use the word logical as opposed to rational. Yeah, I'm okay with that as our definition of rationality. And I agree with you. I think that's where a lot of people default to. Yeah. So I think that too many organizations go, you know what, if we sell it at this price, we're going to sell X amount more. The way that customers make a decision is a logical way. More organizations are starting to embrace the fact that there's emotions, but not many have started to go down into what we would call the subconscious and psychological, which is embracing all of this behavioral economics stuff. But for me, the interesting bit is that sort of illogical, irrational, from a layman's perspective, is all over the place. I mean, it's the classic stuff of if you put a price of your product as being $500, actually, if you put it as being $499, it feels like that's a better deal. If you turn around and say that a piece of meat has got 75% of fat in it, then, you know, actually it sounds better if it says that it's 25% the opposite way. So that's when we're into prospect theory and loss aversion and, and all those things. So I think that illogical behavior, irrational behavior is around us all the time. It's just that organizations don't understand it and haven't embraced it yet. And I think that your observations there kind of get also to why that's the case, right? Because Essentially, what you're saying is it's not enough to say customers are irrational. That's just a starting point. So customers can be irrational in all kinds of different ways. So if you accept that customers are irrational or illogical, however you want to frame it, then that's the start of a very long, complicated, often painful journey to figure out just what are these customers doing if they're not behaving by kind of the logical rules. And so... I think that's why so many organizations want to assume that people are, are logical because that's easier to cope with. Oh, yeah. You kind of understand the structure there. Definitely. So it's scary to admit otherwise. Yeah, and that's definitely the case. And one of the other things I always say is that the challenge is that businesses are run by older people who have got there by being good at what they do. Yeah. And that typically has been around the more rational, logical ways of presenting things. When you start talking to them about an emotional experience and, you know, irrational behavior and it's not black and white, then that becomes much more of a challenge. Absolutely. But, you know, other examples for me that I think are great, uh, you know, you start going, well, something is a dollar a day. Mm-hmm. It's going to cost you a dollar a day to join the gym or whatever. But if you say it's $365 for the year, then actually that feels like it's a hell of a lot more money. Exactly. From a logical perspective, that doesn't make sense. From this irrational perspective, we all intuitively feel it, right? $360 feels really expensive. A dollar a day feels like nothing. The other part I guess I'd like to talk about would be, do you think that this is different in any sort of different segments? So one of the questions we get a lot 
is does this apply in business to business? Does this imply, you know, typically we would talk about this being a more business to consumer thing. And in fact, I was only thinking about you the other day because you talk about when you were thinking about irrationality. I get that a lot. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I was thinking because you talk about teaching consumer psychology. Mm-hmm. And using the word consumer sort of indicates business to consumer right. rather than just an interaction between two people where one buys something and the other sells something. Yeah, no, you're right. The terms are definitely loaded. Talking about the consumer sends a different signal to businesses than talking about the customer. And I think that it's to the detriment of people adopting some of the things that we've been talking about in the podcast where if you say consumer, and I slip up on this a lot, and you try to correct me, then people say, oh, well, that doesn't apply to my industry then, right? Because we don't deal with consumers, we deal with customers and customers of business. To your question about does this differ by segments, I think that it does. And I think that on average, business customers are more rational, logical, whatever you want to call it, than are consumers. But if your interpretation of that general tendency is, therefore, none of this behavioral science matters because we're dealing with corporate companies, I think that's wrong. More logical or less irrational does not mean completely logical and completely rational. So the interesting thing is when you start talking about a business person, but they're obviously going to go home and put their consumer hat on, when they go into work the next day, they put this, I'm going to use the word, I don't know if I really mean it, pretense up there of going, right, I now need to make more logical decisions. Mm -hmm. But actually, they may do a bit, but I still think that intuitive judgment, gut reaction nags away. Because if it didn't, then actually you just need robots, wouldn't you, to make decisions? Because they're just, you know, this, 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 and this happens, and now therefore the decision is that. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, the story that you opened the podcast with, anybody who works in business, who has worked in business, could tell that story. Because that happens over and over again in B2B decision making. Yeah. And sometimes it'll be somebody in the decision team that will just kind of say, you know what, I don't feel right about this. You know, I had experiences before I went back to grad school where You'd make the spreadsheet and you'd get the experts and you'd come up with a decision and you'd take it to the boss, to the manager, the CEO, and that person would go, eh, you know what? No, we're going to go with this instead. And just throw all of the analysis out the window and use their kind of gut judgment on stuff yeah. for good or ill. Like It's not the case that it's always a better decision that way. But a lot of powerful people in organizations are intuitive decision makers. And you've seen it. Everybody has seen it who's worked in an organization sure. where the boss will just come in and veto six months of work and say, no, we're doing something else instead. There's this old saying from, I guess, the 70s, maybe the 60s, nobody ever got fired for buying IBM. Yeah. Have you heard that one? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's an interesting phrase because that's a B2B description, right? We're talking about yeah. companies buying from IBM. Yeah. And, you know, it talks about how a lot of IBM purchases at that time may have been driven by risk aversion, by this kind of emotional response to not want to go out on a limb. And, you know, this is the conservative choice. Nobody's going to yell at me. And I think that there's lots and lots of B2B decision making that happens that way. So, yeah, if I slip up on the podcast and say, consumer, please, good listener, don't shut yourself off. We're talking about people and 
people and organizations are less biased in certain ways, but, you know, they're more biased in other ways. There's a tendency towards groupthink. There's an emphasis on attributes that can be clearly articulated and enumerated. So, yeah, we're all just people. Yeah, and I guess part of that also just becomes, you know, you talk about groupthink made me think of the many times that we've been in workshops, had conversations with people where nobody wants to stick up their head above the parapet or if suddenly if their boss turns around and says this is a good idea, then everybody jumps on the bandwagon despite everything else that's been done. Absolutely. I think it's understandable but illogical to a certain extent. Oh, absolutely. So maybe we should just ask our famous question of, okay, so what does this all mean? What does it mean that people should do? So I'll answer by dropping some more vocab on you, Colin. I know your favorite part of the podcast. Okay, cool. Ryan's word lessons. (laughs) So when I was studying decision-making in grad school, I read some things by some very clever people who characterized, going back to this idea that you need a mental model of human decision-making. They said there's lots of ways of thinking about this, and it's not that any of them are wrong. They're all useful in different ways. But they said some of these models are normative and some are descriptive, and we can study decision-making in both ways. And so normative models of decision-making describe people as they should be. Right. And so most of our rational models, our logical models, describe how people should make decisions if they were to make optimal decisions without any bias. And that's the mode that a lot of us default to when we're trying to anticipate other people because it's kind of the easiest for us to cope with. Right. The other way of thinking about it is descriptive, which is what do people actually do? Sure. And that gets very messy and developing theories in that area get very specific and are hard to do. But ultimately, it's usually more useful because it's based on kind of the reality instead of based on kind of this pie-in-the-sky theory about how people should operate. So as you're developing your theory of how people work in your industry for your customers, and you need to, it needs to happen, you need that model to function, keep that in mind. Are you trying to develop a model that describes what people actually do and try to understand that? Is it descriptive or is it normative? Are you falling back onto this idea that people should be logical and therefore we're going to assume that they are? So to put it in my layman's language... I would describe that as being there's a difference between what people say they're going to do and what people actually do. Yep. That would be the way of saying it that doesn't sound as fancy or make me seem as important. But yes, (laughs) that's another way of doing it. There you go. You are a professor. You are allowed, along with professorships, difficult word to say <laughs> how much have you been drinking today Colin? Uh, I, i'm not judging <laughs> can i just say not enough <laughs> <laughs> i understand that getting through a conversation with me can sometimes require a little help i understand uh, absolutely but the key thing there is and i can just as you were saying it i was thinking to myself yeah just so many organizations go this is what our customers do yeah and actually, if they just spent the time watching what they do, seeing what they do, right. you know, understanding what they really do, and not just putting their interpretation on it or... Assuming what they do. Yeah, assuming what they do, or even 
listening to what customers say they're going to do. Right. And that's a key part. Yeah, that's a good point. Because it's not just about what they say they're going to do, it's what they actually do that's the key part here. I think for me, the thing that I think people need to take away, and this is still, I think we're still in the infancy of this, is they've got to educate people on what behavioral economics is all about. Too many people still look at just the rational side, what customers are doing, delivery times, how quickly you answer the phone, those types of things. You've really got to start thinking about how the customer feels, but definitely getting more into this psychological stuff. So the good news is that people listening to this podcast are leading the way. And I hope that, you know, they're going to be the first movers on this stuff and starting to use it to design into their journeys and educate people. So we hope that's been of use to you today. That was quite a call to action, Colin. So those of you listening, go out and change the world. Get on that. Absolutely. That is the only place to be, though, isn't it? I like it. What was that Roosevelt saying? Something about, you know, rather than your be the shining star or something like that. I can't remember. Shining city on a hill? Was that? No. That that might have been Reagan. Yeah. Anyway. So go out and change the world, but educate people. And I think that ties into, let me ask people to maybe try to do this. It would be really good if you could just tell one person this week to listen to our podcast. Because if you tell one person and then they tell one person and we start getting people to listen to the podcast and they start to realize the rich vein of customer data, behavioral understanding, you know, all those things, then hopefully this goes some way to helping change the world. So on that note of Ryan and I wanting to change the world, we hope to talk to you next week. Thanks, everybody. Thanks. See you. Hi, this is Colin. I said I'd be back with you after the show with the URL where you can book a quick call with me. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com backslash meeting. That's beyondphilosophy.com backslash meeting. Please remember this is only for a limited time only, so I would recommend that you book as soon as you can. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton, but it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast. And we'll talk with you next time on The Intuitive Customer.